So, this morning, we we're looking at Mark chapter 2, the first 12 verses. Uh, it'll be on the screen. Mark 2, 1 through 12. Before we read, let's pray together. Thank you. Thank you, God, for giving us the time, the space, this place, this opportunity to to really turn our attention to you, to, to worship, to bow down, to to lay ourselves bare and open before you. Thank you for being our host, for loving us, for accepting us, for bringing us together, for your grace and your love and your mercy. Um, As we open your word and listen to it, we pray that you would speak to us, that we would hear your voice, and that in some small way we would be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Mark 2, 1 through 12. Hear these words. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Wouldn't it be awesome if we knew what he said? Like, he preached the word. I would love to know what he said. I would love to know point by point. Like, did he have three points, like most of the people who do what I do do? Or did he have five or six? Did he tell any stories? What did he say? We have no idea what he said, but we know what he did, which I think is awesome. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus. And after digging through it, they lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. Just picture it in your head, please, how absurd all of this is. And how amazingly awesome. They couldn't get him to Jesus because of the crowd. So they're like, let's go up to the roof. And they dig a hole in the roof. And they lowered the mat he was lying on right there. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. (laughs) What is going on here? Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's totally blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit what they were thinking in their hearts. Probably read it all over their faces. He could just see it. And he said to them, why are you even thinking these things? Like, which is easier? 
To say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven. Or to say, get up, your, get up, take your mat and walk. Like super easy to say your sins are forgiven because like who can prove that? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he turns to the paralytic and says, look, man, get up. Take your mat and go home. He got up. Took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. And everyone was like, wait, what? They were amazed. And everyone, they all praised God saying, we've never seen anything like this. That's the story. It's in the Bible. I love this story for all kinds of different reasons. Um, Here's the deal. There's a lot going on in this story. And like always, we cannot get to them all. Just there's no, there's no way we can get to everything in this story. In fact, you're probably, I'm just going to be upfront about it. And this probably happens a lot more than I would like to admit. But you're going to leave here and I'm going to leave here with many more questions than we have answers. This book, we like to think of it as an answer book. And yes, we find some really good answers in there. But a lot of times we just come up with all sorts of questions that we may or may not be able to answer. Like, think about it. These four friends, they bring this paralytic, this guy who's hurting. His whole life is, who knows what's ahead of him. Like, but he can't move. He's paralyzed. They bring him to Jesus. They do the whole thing where they dig a hole in the roof and they lower him down. And when Jesus sees him, he says, my son, your sins are forgiven. And I don't know about you, but if I'm one of the four friends, I'm thinking to myself when Jesus says that, like, it's not exactly why we brought him here, but thanks. Raises all, core, all kinds of questions. Like, like, what's the relationship between sin and paralysis? Seems to be a relationship there. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And they're like, he's paralyzed. What's the relationship between sin and paralysis, really good question, right? Or other questions come up like, what's the relationship between faith and healing? Do you have to have faith first before you get healed? Or can faith be like a, like a response? When the healing comes, you're like, okay, now I believe. And who has to have the faith anyway? These are all really good questions. And I don't know, I'm going to try to answer a few of them. I'm going to try to talk about, I don't know if I'm going to give any satisfactory answers to any of these things. So like always, how about we just walk through the story together? So I'll point out some things and hopefully you got enough to talk about later. Anyway, a few days later, when Jesus entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door. Now, stop there. Let's talk about that for a little bit. I think part of what Mark is trying to tell us is that you can't contain the Jesus movement. You cannot contain it. We try to contain it. We try to contain it in in rooms like this. We've got four walls. We try, he's in a home. We try to contain Jesus in places like this and in others all around the world. We try to contain, 
all sorts of ways we try to do that, but, but we can't contain the Jesus movement. You, you can't. It's impossible. I, here we are, we're at the beginning. We're begin, at the beginning of chapter 2, so we're at the very beginning of, G, of Mark telling his Jesus story. And here already there's this sort of explosiveness to to this reality that Jesus calls the kingdom of God. And Jesus seems to, to embody this kingdom living in ways that people have never seen before or experienced before. It's extraordinary, really. And it's attractive. It's magnetic. There are people who just have to be a part of this thing. It's really good news. And because it's really, really good news, all kinds of people from all over the place are, are flocking to be with Jesus. And I think part of what Mark is trying to to tell us is that you just can't contain this thing that's happening in and through Jesus. It's impossible. Mark wants to make sure that we get it. So if you remember, we've been walking through Mark for a little bit now. We've been paying attention. He's just called his first four disciples, Simon, Andrew, James, and John. And the first thing he does is, is he gives this guy freedom who's been possessed by an unclean spirit. And then Mark tells us right after that story, these words, he says, news about him spread spread quickly throughout the whole region of Galilee. Then Jesus finds himself in in Simon's home where he heals Simon's mother-in-law. And that evening, the whole town apparently got word of that and the whole town gathers at the door and Jesus heals many more people right then and there. And then, the next morning, Jesus goes to a solitary place because he's like, I'm bushed, man. I need some rest. I need to pray a little bit here. And the disciples go looking for him. And when they find him, guess what they say? Dude, everyone's looking for you. Everyone's looking for you. And next, he goes all throughout Galilee doing his thing, and he eventually meets up with a man with leprosy. He heals this guy. And then he sends him on his way and he says, don't tell anybody about this. Go show yourself to the priest, but don't say anything. You know what he does? Mark tells us, instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the good news. Like he couldn't contain it. He couldn't keep the secret. He had to let it out. He had to talk about it. And now we find ourselves with our story this morning. He's back in Capernaum. It's sort of like his home base. He's back in this house. Could be Simon's house. We think it probably is. And so many people gathered there that there was no more room left, not even outside the door. Like the place is jam-packed. You cannot contain the Jesus movement. He's attractive. It's magnetic. You cannot contain what's happening in and through Jesus. Try as though we may. We cannot contain it. It's impossible. So here's the deal. It's still true today. It's still true today. Jesus is the most famous person on the planet. His name is more well-known than any other name, period. If I had to guess, his name every day is on the lips of more than a billion people every single day. More books, papers, articles, blogs, mentions and podcasts, on Twitter, wherever. His name, more books have been written about Jesus than any other person in the history of ever, period. 
So here's the deal. We're a part of something much, much bigger than ourselves, even something that's outside of ourselves. This church that, that, that God is sprouting from the soil of Ames is part of something that is much, much bigger than just this church because we're connected with Jesus, because we belong to Jesus. His life, his kingdom, his ways cannot be contained, period. His life and his kingdom are so full of awesome, so full of love and grace and healing and forgiveness and freedom. It's so revolutionary that when those realities are lived into, people just want to be a part of it. People flock to Jesus, so much so that there's no more room. There's no room in the house. There's no room outside the door. You cannot contain what's happening in and through Jesus. And then Mark tells us this interesting story that about a guy who encounters some barriers to Jesus. This movement in this guy that cannot be contained, suddenly there's barriers there, and he cannot get to Jesus. He can't get there all on his own, and that doesn't seem to make any sense. He's paralyzed. Presumably, he knows about Jesus. He's heard about the things that Jesus has said and has done, but he can't get to Jesus all on his own. So Mark seems to be telling us that sometimes there are some barriers. There are times when we can't get to Jesus all on our own. And I know this isn't the Sunday school thing to say, because when we're children, when we're little kids, we tell everybody, and we still believe this today, that that God is everywhere present, that God is always with you. But Mark seems to be saying to us that there are some times when we can't get to Jesus, at least not all on on our own. And if we really think about it, if we're really honest about it, there's some truth to that. We might not want to admit it, but there's some truth there. Because I I think in some ways that every person on the planet is paralyzed in some way or another. Like, I think all of us, I think we have our own barriers that keep us from getting to Jesus. Sometimes we, sometimes we call it sin. And sometimes we cause it. Sometimes we do it. And sometimes it's, it's just some things that happen to us, almost like we're caught up in it. And we're taken captive by something, almost as if it's outside of ourselves. Sometimes we're, we're too depressed and we find ourselves in a hole that we, we just cannot climb out of. Sometimes we don't even recognize our own need. I think sometimes we're, we're blind to our own faults. There are times when we're paralyzed, paralyzed by fear. Sometimes we're, we're stuck in the mud of our own bad habits. Our own, our own addictions, and we just can't move. Sometimes we get, we get caught in a kind of intellectual paralysis of the mind, and we can't wrap our minds around this whole God idea, this whole idea of a divine. And so, and so we, get, 
we get skeptical about the whole thing and we start doubting and then we decide we're not going to believe. I mean, think about this. We, we swim in a culture that tells us that we really don't need any sort of higher being. Like, that's ancient thinking. That's, that's ancient hocus-pocus stuff. Right? That God is simply a crutch. And that if you're strong enough, you're smart enough, you're willing enough, and you work hard enough, you can make your own future. You can find your own destiny. You can, you can create your own life. You don't need God. You don't need a divine. We're past all that stuff. I mean, we live in a world with all kinds of distractions that can become barriers all the time. How many of us can sit in a room with all sorts of other people and we're there with other people or maybe we're there alone and, and we find ourselves, we have to pick this thing up. We're filled in a room full of people, all kinds of other people, all of them images of the divine right there in front of us. And after five minutes, we're like, eh, I'm bored. And we have to pick this thing up and we have to look at it. We have to do Twitter or Facebook or we play a game or, or, or whatever. We're, we're so, we have this thing called instant gratification. And sometimes that makes us really impatient. We, can't, we don't know how to just sit anymore. Right? So there are all kinds of barriers, aren't there? All kinds of barriers that keep us from connecting with the divine, that sort of keep us from getting to Jesus. Let's just be honest about it. Okay, ready for the Sunday school answer? Ready for the Sunday school part of it? This is, here's the good news. Here's the really, really good news. There's no barrier big enough or strong enough that can contain or stop the Jesus movement. So we're back to what I said at the beginning. There's nothing that can keep us from the presence of God. Let's follow the story. This story is amazing. So this man who is paralyzed, who can't move, we in some way or another know what it's like. He's given his life back because he has four very good friends who know what needs to be done and get this. They just do it. This guy is given his life back because he has four very, very good friends who know what needs to be done, and then they just do it. They did it. These four friends, these men, recognized that they were wrapped up in something much, much bigger than themselves, that they were taken captive by this thing that was bigger than themselves. These four men realized that they were caught up in something that was so amazing and so extraordinary that it caused them to go to extraordinary lengths in order to do what they needed to do for a friend. Let's think about the story. Some men came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, time out. Because of the crowd? They couldn't get him to Jesus because of the crowd. Like, Mark is going out of his way to tell us that these guys can't get their friend to Jesus because of the crowd. It's the crowd of people 
who are so intent on following Jesus. It's the crowd of people who are so interested in being with Jesus. It's the crowd of Jesus people. It's the crowd of Jesus followers that keeps this guy who's in great need from getting to Jesus. Just think about that. I find that super interesting. Now, did these guys see the crowd and they're like, there's too many people there, so we're just going to go right up the stairs on the outside of the building and do what we got to do in order to get him there? Or is it reasonable to think that they tapped some people on the shoulders who are standing outside the building? They tapped some people on the shoulders and said, hey, we got this guy here, our friend, who is in great need. Do you think maybe we could make some room for him? It's reasonable to think that they at least tried that at first, right? But for whatever reason, they don't open the door for him. The crowd of people who are following Jesus, it's the crowd that becomes the barrier. Does that say anything about us? I mean, we really want to be with Jesus. We're really trying to follow Jesus. We're so interested in being with Jesus. Is it possible? Is it possible that we're not paying attention to people who really, really need to be with Jesus too? Are we... This is like a whole different message. Just something for you to chew on. Let's go on in the story. These four dudes are motivated. Really motivated. They won't be stopped. Uh Uh-uh. So they carried him up this outside stairway to the roof of the house. And I think they did something truly amazing. They dug a hole in the roof. Now, if you were to translate this word for word from the Greek it was written in, it would say this. They unroofed the roof, which I think is awesome. They unroofed the roof. Now, the people who know about these things tell us that you couldn't just take part of the roof off. It wasn't like a panel that you could just lift off. And No, it was made, it was made with a kind of adobe mud and it was plastered in there between wooden beams and stuff. So they had to dig and claw with their bare hands through all of that in order to make a hole big enough to, to, to lower their friend down on a mat right, right there to Jesus and just lay him on the ground from the roof right at the feet of Jesus. Mark goes on to say that when Jesus saw their faith, the faith of the four men, the four friends, not the one who's paralyzed, the four friends, when he saw their faith, he said to the man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now that, I don't think that was exactly what they came there for. 
It's not exactly what they had in mind. Although maybe it was because some people connected. Like if you were in that position, you must have done something really to anger the gods. So you probably are responsible for it. So maybe they had some sort of something like that in mind, but they really wanted their friend to walk. And he says, my son, your sins are forgiven. And that irritated the religious people in the room. So Jesus was presuming quite a bit, actually. He was presuming to be able to do what only God can do. He was, really, he was blaspheming. So Jesus then acknowledges the discomfort of, of the religious experts, challenges them, asks a rhetorical question, and then almost as an afterthought, he says, get up, take your mat, and walk home. And the guy gets up. And he walks in full view of everyone. There's no barrier. There's no barrier that can keep us from getting to Jesus. Not the crowd, not the stairway, not the roof, not paralysis. But here's the part of the story I love so much it's the four friends, right? Like, that's the part of the story that makes me go, oh my gosh. It's those four friends who are so focused and so determined. They knew what they had to do, and then they just did it. And I think that it's intriguing. It's intriguing to me that, that Jesus pays more attention to the four friends than he does even to the man on the mat. Jesus doesn't notice his faith or lack of faith. But he notices the blood, the sweat, the tears, the dirty hands, the tired muscles of the, of the four friends. And he recognized that as faith. Let me say that again. He noticed the blood, the sweat, the tears, the, the dirty hands, the sore muscles of the four friends. And he saw that and recognized that as faith. Mark says, Jesus saw their faith. <laughs> I'm interested in the thought that when you're weak and you're vulnerable and you're paralyzed in either body or soul or both, having friends can literally save your life. I'm interested in the thought that even when you don't or you can't believe, having friends who do can give you your life back. I'm really interested in that. Do you remember those H&R Block commercials? You got, I got people. Some of my favorite commercials that I've ever seen. It's tax season, right? So they used to run these, these commercials where there were usually a couple of anxious people. And they were in their front yard or in their office or some other place. And they're all stressed out because it's tax season. They're stressed out about doing their taxes, about making mistakes while they're doing their taxes. They're, they're, they're 
They're worried about making the, the April 15 deadline and all that stuff. They're worried about getting their maximum refund. Tax season does that <laughs> to people. And then another guy walks into the scene, into the front yard or into the office space or whatever, and he's dressed casually, and he's really happy, and he's feeling good about his life. And they end up asking, why are you so relaxed? Why are you chilling, man? Like, it's tax season. You should be all stressed out. And he says something like this, why do I need to be worried? I got people. He's like, H&R Block took a second look at my taxes, and they found a whole bunch of mistakes, and now I'm getting more money back. I got people. Do you have people? Do you got people? Do you have friends who will rip a hole in a roof for you? Are you that kind of friend? I mean, these are the kinds of friends who, who when we're, we're too depressed and we're stuck in that hole, they'll jump in the hole with us and they'll help us they'll help us climb out of it these are are the kinds of friends who recognize our needs know what they need to do and then they just do it last night we did someone just stop by our house unannounced? And they, they brought us a card and a gift. Said, I don't know why, but I've been thinking about you over the last couple of weeks. And in the card, it, it said to us, God sees you. You are needed here. We didn't even know we needed that. But it was like it was like a world opened up and and we were like we felt loved and embraced. And it was like we didn't even know we needed that. Do you have people? These are, these are the kinds of friends who also do things like gently remind us of our faults and then work with us so that all of us can become better people. These are the kinds of friends who will, who will stand by us when we're afraid. These are the kinds of friends who will walk with us as, we, as we're open about and we try our best to kick our bad habits or we sort of slog our way out of our addictions. I mean, these are the kinds of friends who understand that it isn't always easy to believe. It isn't always easy to have faith. And so when we can't, when we can't believe or when we have little faith, they'll believe for us. They'll have faith for us. And somehow that can be enough. Have you ever had someone say that to you? Like, you don't have to believe right now. It's okay. I will believe for you. Just, I'll hang with you. I'll believe for you. 
Do you have people? I, I think you do. You have people in this room. You have people who are gathered online. Yeah, we have people. And sometimes these people aren't even necessarily trying to follow Jesus as we are. And yet we have those people too. And those people are a freaking gift. Because remember, you can't contain this Jesus movement. So it shouldn't surprise us when, when people who are outside of what we're trying to do are, are, are people too. And there are people. And they're there for us. And somehow, someway, they give us what we need too. Here's the deal. The healer has come. And his name is Jesus. His kingdom of grace and love and healing and renewal cannot be contained. It's a privilege to carry one another into his presence. And it's such an amazing grace when we can't quite make it there ourselves all on our own to be lifted up, held together, and carried into his presence by strong, strong arms and loving hands. Let's pray.